0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I mean, what I should tell you is that literally 10 days ago we did communicators training and a high value is that everything about you says something about you. So our spelling mistakes I'm dying inside. I'm just telling. You. I'm I'm dying. I'm like, people are watching me. I know that, and I'm dying because everything about you says something about you. And I'm so glad we did that communicators training. Um, um, I can see the fruits immediately, and uh, just come on, Just have a hug with it. There we go. Uh, I can see God is working, and um, it's glory to glory. Just uh, it's all part of it. It really is amazing. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, where'd those other folk go? Like that r- little redhead character is always up there. Where's that guy? And you know, some of those other guys that sit, they make a bit of noise. You know where they are? They're meeting in Milnerton and um, had the amazing privilege of going through there after the service last week. There was such amazing love. They had seven or eight visitors, guys who weren't part of church, hadn't been saved ever, arriving and being part. There were about 110, 115 people there worshiping. Just lots and lots of love. And um, what comes with that is a multiplying story. I was so proud of these guys, Jerry and Mish and the team, because part of the the multiplying story is we get to create space for opportunities for others to grow and step in. And what you witnessed this morning was a new team of guys being led by new leaders, not a new team but led by God saying we're going to step up, we're going to step into the gap, and we're going to lead God's people with courage and favor and grace the same way the Milton crew are going for it. So if you want to know what part of the story you're part of, we're part of an advancing, trusting Jesus story. And we'll give Wayne another shot at the announcements. Um, (laughs) 2017 is is looking open um, for announcement slots. I don't think we filled that one yet. It really is wonderful to see you. Hello up there. We don't always get a chance. How are you guys? You are Is right. the air coming okay up there? Not too cold. It's wonderful to see you. It really is wonderful to be together. And I'm really, I've been spending a lot of time preparing in the Word of God. I am pumped. I'm excited. But I want to just take one or two moments just to do one or two things. The first thing is I got greeted by an amazing lady, part of this community, um, not newly married and not a spring chicken, but she did walk up to me. Whoa. Yes, Lord. She did. Um, she did walk up to me this morning and say, "Listen, we're not normally late for church, but you did have marriage foundations on Friday night, and we're just telling you it's bearing fruit." So I don't really know. I don't really know what that means. I didn't ask too many questions. I just say, "Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Bless it, bless it." So it's, uh, that is that is really exciting. It's great to see immediate fruit. We should have had the testimony this morning, but I thought. Might be a bit early, maybe next week. Um, and uh, just to let you know, that, uh, as you know, we're a family, we, we're not a preaching center, we, we're a family, we're on the move, and God wants to lead us. I want to just welcome someone who's joined us this morning, and she's going to hate it that I'm doing this, but Jenny Ambler, where are you hiding? I don't want to, she's right at the back row, that amazing lady. Can you stand for a second? I, I don't know what heroes, I do know what heroes in the world look like. They're loud, and they got a million Twitter followers, and no one really knows what they do, but I... I, know, I think I know what heroes in the kingdom look like, and they look like this lady. She um, worked at Glenridge Church for probably 20 years, eh, Jen, maybe longer, around there. And um, I, I've probably eaten 200 meals that this lady's prepared. And, and she worked, in some of the, the last few years, she had some pains, she had her feet were sore, and yet we dragged her to camps and said, will you cater for hundreds of kids? We, we, we took her to events and ha- hosted pastors, hundreds of pastors. And this amazing lady with her team just served. She just got on with it. And when I say excellence, and, and Jen, I really want to take a moment to say, we've had many amazing people visit this church, but it's an incredible honor to have you this morning. I absolutely love you. I've known you since I was about this big. And, um, and I, I really do honor you. And it's a privilege to have you with us this morning. Thank you. So Jonah, turn to the person next to you and say, good morning, Jonah. Turn to the other person and say, good morning, Jonah. <laughs> you see where we're going? I see you guys in the back row there. I can see you. Now Now there's a few less people. I can see the faces. Can we turn to the book of Jonah? It's, um, it's really, really exciting. If you can't find it, I told you last week. Between Obadiah, if you know where that is. No, we won't go there. I won't tease you. We have got some slides. If you have got your Bibles, please turn there. I'm going to read it again. I'm so passionate about the reading of the Word. I'm telling you, my encouragement to you every Sunday isn't enough food for you and for the gospel story that God wants to do in your life. I'm just telling you. I'd love to tell you it was enough. I'd love to say that if you just got the Bible in on a Sunday, that's enough for everything God wants to do for your life. But I promise you it's not. And you've got to learn to feed yourself, get to the word yourself. Our job is to take, to teach, to open up, but that we would be reading the word together and finding him in the word. So we're going to read from Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 again. Last week we looked at verse 1 to 3, and um, it starts like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that he will not, that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And Lord, we come this morning under your word, under the authority of your word, and under an amazing story about this urban missionary called Jonah. And I pray, God, Spirit of God, would you be upon us? Would you bring the word in alive as we spend time in your word, as we feast on your word? Would you open up eyes to see missions and calls that you spoke to Jonah? I pray, would you speak to people here? Not me speaking to people. Would you, Father, the good Father, speak to your people today that we would respond to the living God? We worship you, God. Amen. So last week, last week, we looked at why did he run? This guy Jonah, and and many people know the story, and there's movies and there's retelling. But why did he run? And and what you start seeing is these this Israelite prophet, and he'd been used to bringing the good, encouraging words. So he'd run into King Jeroboam and said, "You will prosper, you will win." And everyone loves bringing that word. I mean, everyone would be a prophet if you went into every scenario and said, "You're going to win, you're going to prosper." No one wants to be the guy. You're going to get sorted if you don't respond to God. No one wants to be that guy. It's kind of not great on the CV of a prophet to be the prophet of doom. It's like, yay, let's bring that guy in again. We like that guy. And yet, there was something up at Nineveh. So if we put the picture up, just to remind you how far he runs, we see that Nineveh is way to the right. It's 800 kilometers to the east. And what does he do? He says, thanks God, thanks for speaking, I'm going to run the other way. And it's this amazing picture, actually, of Jesus who separates our sin from as far as the east is from the west. I just, I think it's such a beautiful picture. We sing songs, and we love talking about sin in our songs. We don't like talking about it in our lives, in our stories, and our disobedience. And we've got to understand that Jesus rode in so that no longer will he remember our sins, and no longer will he remember our little sojourn to Joppa, rather than his call to a suffering people who didn't know their left from their right. It's an amazing, amazing picture. And these guys, the Ninevites, they weren't a great target market. It's like if you're going to say, let's go to a really cool place. This isn't the place. These guys were famous for impaling their enemies. They were famous for war crimes and they were sorting the Israelites at that time. So they were the enemy of Jonah's people. And he's a proud Hebrew. Actually a racist. And God says, you're going to go there for my glory. It's not about you. Had the amazing privilege of going to a celebration service with, with a man, and, and, uh, 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 Abel and Lydia, who we've worked with and what he's built with. They planted a church in 2000 in Blue Downs. A really tough area of the city. Lots of unemployment. Lots of challenges. And they said, God has called us for this task to plant a church in Blue Downs. And for about 14 years, fifty actually longer, 15 years, they just met. In homes, school halls, trying to help people, trying to build. And yesterday was a celebration silver service of a hall that God has built. As this couple has said, God have placed us here. A tough environment. Gangsterism. And they built a building. I, I would love to put up photos. I'm sorry I didn't. When I said they put up a building amidst really run-down homes and some shacks, in the middle of that they built a building of excellence where God has provided finances from the weirdest places. But through the faithfulness of a couple, a people sent, urban missionaries sent to the darkest, toughest places, and they've been faithful and they've built, God has blessed and poured out. And I stood there yesterday and I looked at this amazing facility. And the colors look exactly like ours. <laughs> I said, Abel, you're amazing. He said, thank you. <laughs> but it just honored these people saying, thank you for responding to the call of God. Thank you. Thank you for the heroes who responded to their part. Thank you for going to the toughest places where Jonah couldn't go first. And we said, why did he run? Four reasons he was worshiping himself. And we're worshiping anything other than God, we'll find a million reasons not to go on mission with Jesus. Please don't listen that I'm waiting for the big call to Nineveh. No, the, the call of God is first to your wife, then to your home, then to your marketplace, and then to your neighbors to preach the gospel and to share the love of Jesus with them. He was a happy wanderer. He, he didn't want to be tied down. And yet the Bible says, plant, your house, plant yourself in the house of God. It will flourish you. The Bible says, I place you in places for seasons and times according to his will, not my will. Jonah didn't want to be that guy. He didn't want to be limited by the constraints of the call of God. And he lost his identity as a missionary. You and I are missionaries. We have a bit of a warped idea around missionaries. We think they're the guys who get sent off, and we just send them 100 bucks a month to keep them alive. No, we're all missionaries because we have the Spirit of God inside of us that keeps sending us to our neighbors and to the colleagues at work. And then the last point that we're going to explain, well, he hadn't fully got it. He hadn't fully got the gospel. He'd forgotten what the gospel was about. So it's a big thing. Today, I'd like to speak about, well, how did God respond? It's one thing, well, what did Jonah do with it when God speaks? How does God respond when he goes on his journey? And I think these are verses we can skip over. And I'd like to call it the finger of God. One of those, just because sometimes you just need a powerful title. Just saying. Never sell a book unless it's got a good title. But the finger of God, and it comes from the Exodus story. It comes with Moses and his people saying, let my people go. And, and, and Pharaoh's pushing back. He says, what's going to happen? And, and, and they, God does this plague of gnats. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I would love a plague of gnats. Just not sure. Actually, I'm pretty positive I wouldn't. But then what happens is the magicians tried to produce, verse 18, when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret ox, they could not. I did say arts. I didn't say anything else there. just can see some of you giggling. I said arts. didn't say anything else. Then it carries on. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. The magicians, the wise people of the day, they said this is the finger of God, not even the hand of God. Who else can do this? No other power, no other might can come and with his finger cause a plague. So what is the storm? What is the storm to Jonah? See, Jonah goes and he runs to Joppa, and it's all good. He's running. He's like, hey, God's not chasing me. I'm all good. I can just walk a little bit. Six gets to Joppa. Ah, oh, there's a boat. And we said it last week that there will always be a boat to Toshish. There will always be a boat going in the opposite direction to where God wants us to go. And it's foolishness to think that every opportunity is from God. Just telling you. Much of the church believe in the superstitious Christianity. Oh, there's an open door. Honestly. And I know we've all said it. And many open doors might be from God. But I worship a God who speaks and so do you. So let's pursue Him. I'd much rather have the voice of God, the clarity of His call that sustains and holds than, well, I just, why did we end up here, honey? Well, good question. There was an open door. It doesn't hold when the tough times come. It doesn't hold when the storms come. So there's this, this thing. Let me say this, and it's like, a, it's like a silly little line, but every line in the Bible is amazing. He paid his fare. I read that yesterday. It was like, poof. See, when God called, God resources. And I watch people take jobs, and I watch people run into things, and I watch their resources get depleted, their energy gets depleted, their families get depleted, and I'm going, God's call, He resources. When God calls you to something, He will resource not just your finances, your family, your story. You see, we will always have to pay the fare. God says, when I call you, well, I will hold you. I will sustain you. I want to know the sustaining, resourcing, empowering of God. I want to live in that place because that place is called grace. That place is a waterfall that never stops flowing. And God never turns off the taps. And my only job is to stay under that waterfall. That's my job. It's not to turn on the taps. I'm not the guy that goes to the bottom of a Nanda Dam and opens up the sluice gates so the water can flow. That's his job. My job is to make sure I stay under the waterfall of his grace. And he pays the fare. He's already paid the fare. And then here's the amazing thing. You see, just with that fare thing, can I just say the cost is always greater than it looks like at the beginning? I've sat with men who in moments of weakness and brokenness have visited prostitutes. And aside from a whole bunch of things, maybe that encounter cost them a thousand rand. I don't know. I'm telling you, the cost is way more than a thousand rand. It's always more than we think it is at the start. Jonah paid the fare. But here's the truth. God let him go. God said, okay, you want to go on your sojourn? You want to go on your, your runaround? Cool, Jonah. Carry on. Here's the truth. The comfort people experience in their sins and in their disobedience is always only temporary. And maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a year, but I promise you it's temporary. I promise you it's temporary. And Jonah, he's on his boat, and he's, he's sailing away just before he goes for his power nap downstairs. He looks up and says, well, maybe God's given me a mulligan. Any golfers here? Any go-? Yes, own up. We got one, Wayne. There we go. There we go. They know what a mulligan is. It's when you're standing on the tee box, and you put everything into it. It's like, ah. And you hit it straight into the cars, out of the golf course. And you know it's a penalty. A mulligan says, tear it up again, that one doesn't count. Jonah think he got one of those. It's like, don't worry, Jonah, God's going to give you a mulligan. Can I give you a true story? A recent true story. I got sent a picture from a man who I love. A picture of him and the ladies having an affair with sent me a picture. And I sent a message back. I said, Bud, to you, that picture looks like two happy people with a future ahead of them. I just see two people in a car driving on the wrong side of the road at 180 k's an hour coming up to a blind rise and they don't know there's a truck coming the other way. Love you. Because I do love them. But sin is always a temporary comfort. Always. And we've got to have an understanding and a theology of sin. I am a son. I'm not a sinner, but I'm a son who has a propensity to sin. And when I lose my identity as a son, I default back into that place. Yes, your pastor. When I take myself out of this waterfall through my disobedience and my arrogance and my forgetting to remember him, we all step out of that place. Sorry, can we just close our eyes for a second? Maybe you are here today and you know you're in that temporary space of comfort it feels good so maybe God gave you a mulligan. I pray right now, Spirit of God, for the conviction of heaven to come upon your people today. Not that we would be this perfect church without sin. That's not the goal. The goal is the glory of God. In and through every life here. I pray, Spirit of God, would you speak, would you challenge, and would you bring truth today? Amen. Hugh Martin says, The Lord can always afford to wait. You may trespass against Him and pass on apparently unpunished, the Lord apparently uncognizant, but the path along which you pass has the punishment lining both sides of it and looming dark at some fixed point further on. It's coming. It's coming. It's, it's the joy ride on a highway when you, you, you're out of your mind on alcohol and you're driving at 100Ks an hour. The end is coming. It doesn't end well. There's nothing like comfort to keep people unconcerned about spiritual and eternal things. You know that? It's nothing like comfort. I see it with people. I've walked with people. I've been in the church my whole life. People have invested in my life, I've watched it. When success comes, when money comes, when opportunities comes, it's just like, whoa, let me fall into that lazy boy. I forget about the call of God. I forget about the giver of good gifts. And I'm telling you, the book of Jonah is to activate and kickstart the fire inside of each and every one of us as missionaries to disturb the comforts that would keep us unaware of the brokenness that the king is coming back. We can sit in church for year after year and forget that we're actually a people with a mission and a mandate, and this isn't it. You know that? This is just the huddle. So lucky like we had our serving teams, and our, our, it's a picture I'll never forget. Wayne got everyone on top of each other, put their hands in like the American football thing to huddle, but this is just the huddle. We come together, say, come on, guys, we can do this, fix our eyes on Jesus, again. and then we go out to change the world. Yes, we're just a church and table Yes, we're just at the bottom of Africa. Stop believing those lies and understand who we worship and this throne that he is seated on. And I promise you, we will live a story bigger than we could ever understand or imagine. But we get caught up and we look at comfort and we see and we get caught up with it. Psalm 73, a Psalm of Asaph, he, he starts out, he's feeling a little sorry for, yourself, for himself. Maybe you've done this. I know I have. Sometimes I go back to Derb's and I see the young guys who, and I meet with the young guys I mentored in the marketplace, and they are driving some pretty fancy cars these days. And I feel a little sorry for myself for a second. Then I remember the call of God, and I remember Jesus, and it all falls away. Is it okay that we can be a bit vulnerable here? Is that okay? Is that okay? He's feeling vulnerable for himself. Listen, verse 1 Surely God is good to Israel. He thinks he's like reminding God to those who are pure in heart. That's me, God. Look at me. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Look at them. Six-packs everywhere. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. It's like, look how good it is in the world. But it finishes in verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly, how suddenly are they destroyed, com- completely swept away by terrors. I just want to remind you, when you start feeling like this guy, because we all get there sometimes. Remember who, what is coming. Remember the king who is seated on his throne. Remember him. Remember mercy. Remember justice. Remember the gospel. And then move forward. Because the storm was God's great love that consumed Jonah. It's not about a whale. It's not about earthly happenings. So how did God respond? He responds with the storm. It's not a popular theology. It's not like the one people major John. I've, I've listened to a couple series of guys I preach. Most guys don't actually speak about the storm. You know why? Because it's not a popular part of the story. And verse 4 says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So that's New International Version. Maybe, maybe that's not right. Maybe it wasn't a storm. So let's link the King James Version. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like... to Yeah, that. A tempest. Have you read Shakespeare about a tempest? It's pretty big. It's not a popular. It's like it doesn't go. You can't like go loving the storm. Hashtag too blessed to stress. Just like that. That post on Facebook wouldn't work. People would be a little confused. Like too blessed storm. Just telling you. The storm changes everything for Jonah. You see, internally, before the storm, Jonah's just a poop. He's just running. It's all about him. It's about him at the center. It's about his story. It's about him. And what's happened with the mission? Well, nothing. We're going to park that. I'm going to take the mulligan, and I'm going to run. The storm comes, and, and I hope that you've read a little bit beyond where we've read today, and you know the story that Jonah responds. And inside, he realizes, I need Jesus. I'm a worshiper of the living God. And what activates the mission of God? I'm telling you, comfort is a killer. It's a killer. And it doesn't mean we should never have comforts. It means we fix our eyes on Jesus and say, I worship the giver of good gifts. When I can hold that tension, it's good. I honestly believe there should be billionaires in the church. I believe it with everything inside of me. But it'll happen when we can hold on to the king of kings. I don't know if you've seen the song by Kelly Clarkson. She sang this week, and she sang about um, piece by piece sings about her father who left her and how the king, the father, and she's a believer if you don't know, put her back piece by piece. And I go, thank you, Lord, for someone you've given such success and the whole world knows her name, but she's singing about you. Give us more of those, God. Give us them in accounting firms and in the city, municipality, in the government. Give us those people. Please, Jesus. So the storm changes everything. It's this dramatic swing. And Jonah Uh, Jonah, it wasn't some anomaly, but rather the storm of the Lord. Jeremiah 23, verse 19 See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. We don't understand the storm. I'm not advocating, a hey, God, bring a storm. It's not a prayer that I pray. But I want to pray, God, when the storm comes, because what the Bible says is the challenges will come. I'm telling you the church aren't doing a good enough job at preparing the church for suffering. You know what's promised in the end times? Suffering. Suffering. You know what's happening right now in South Africa? Churches are growing because fees must fall. Because people are insecure, because brokenness is coming. People are saying, what is the hope that I can hold to? And the main objection of most people is surely, surely, surely a good God wouldn't bring calamity. Surely a good God wouldn't cause a storm because it wasn't only about Jonah. What about the sailors? What about the other ships? Do you think they, it doesn't say there weren't other. There were probably other ships on that ocean that were affected. But the understanding has to be that it's not a coincidence that the storm arose, because the Bible says God sent the wind. It's God's providence in action. It's His good God, a loving God, in action, using the elements to do His bidding, to do what He said must be done for His glory. Maybe we won't fully understand it. But here's the truth. It's like, we look at the picture and think, what about those poor sailors? Surely they're innocent. Can I tell you what the Bible says? No one is innocent. No one. I'm not innocent. You're not innocent. You're not innocent. No one on that sea was innocent. Outside of the grace and the love and the knowledge of Jesus, not one person is innocent. The only thing that makes me innocent is the blood of Jesus. It's the only thing. It's not my good works. It's not my giving. It's not my sacrificing. It's not me telling my kids seven times a day, I love you. It is the blood of Jesus alone. Alone. So the storm... See, for Jonah, for Nineveh, and for the sailors, that storm was the redemptive, perfect love of God. That's what I want to tell you today. And we need to see it in the story because PJ Smart reckons this. In the gospel storm, this, it reveals some things. It's a sin-revealing storm. It's a saving storm, a sanctifying storm, and a sending storm. And I want to shoot through those three things, four things quickly. Is that good? Sin consciousness is at an all-time low. So I sit with Christians people proclaiming the name of Jesus, and I'm telling, I'm sit with them, it's like my therapist told me it's my affliction. Now there is affliction, and there is challenge, there is that. I'm telling you, if you want to understand and be able to fully remember the grace of God, you have to fully call sin what it is. People don't like calling sin, sin. Just telling you. Those aren't the Facebook posts that get all the shares. They don't like that one. Sin is sin. In God's eyes, a holy God, He calls it what it is. And Jonah's disobedience is sin. Jonah's running and saying, God, get off your mission. I'm on my mission. I'm going to worship myself. The minute I choose to worship anything other than the living God, that's sin. And we've got to have an understanding that in the Sonoris, you've got the Ninevites. Well, they just weren't even conscious of their sin. The Bible said they didn't know their left hand from their right. They're people like that. They've got no reality, no understanding. And that's okay. God's got a redemptive story for them. He's got a Jonah to send them. Maybe you, Jonah. What about the sailors? They, they. It says they run and they run to their gods. They know they've done something's up. Jonah was just dull to his sin, and sin's not a popular ch- word to the church. And instead of "well, repent," which is a Bible word, which has changed my thinking and fixed my eyes back on Jesus, not beat myself with a stick. We use the word like this. Maybe there's treatment. Maybe if you just get someone to talk to you over and over again, and I'm telling you, too much counseling in the church is, it's okay, you're okay. Some counseling needs to be, stop sinning. That came across a little harsh. Little harsh. Honestly, guys. Honestly, one of the greatest, can I tell the story? Yes. One of the greatest stories at Glenridge, I've got a friend, I'm not going to tell you his name, but he was a great deacon. He had a great home group of young guys. And this one young guy got saved and it was a radical story. He's a friend of mine. And he's still worshiping Jesus. This was about 15 years ago. And the guy came to him one night, two in the morning, knock, 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 says, what's up? There's no, uh, I messed up. I got drunk and I slept with a girl. Okay, come inside. Sat down, talk, 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 pray, got home. Two months later, again, knock, knock, knock. Three in the morning, what's up? I messed up. Okay, come inside. Sit down, talk, talk, pray. I don't know the exact details, but not long after. Knock, knock, knock. Two in the morning, door opens. What? I messed up again. I got drunk and I slept with a girl. This happens in the church, guys. Sorry to blow your perspective. Um, People are on a journey. Says, come inside. But this time he had a different strategy and he didn't say anything. He just went like this, sat down on his couch and did this with his hands. So the guy thought, cool, we're praying. He sat down opposite him with his hands. And then he looked at him and he just slapped him right off the chair. (laughs) Off the chair, onto the floor. I've heard that story from both people. It's true. Now we don't advocate that. I'm just telling you sometimes we have to get such a smack that sin is sin. Remember, love. Remember mercy, remember grace. Why? Because there are eternal things in play. And there's a Nineveh, which has 120,000 people. So God didn't slap Jonah, but he slapped him with a finger. Boo! Storm. Really didn't plan to say that story at all. But this is what the Bible says, the consequences of sin, the wages of sin is death. It's death. And it might... There might be a temporary delay in the death. And you might not think it's, it might not be death like physical death, but it'll be death in joy. You want to know much depression? Can I be honest? I believe that God heals depression. I believe God uses psychologists in depression. But sometimes it's like, okay, let's repent. Let's get back to Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. And our problem is when you're caught up in Jesus, healing comes. And there is a process. Please, it's a very sensitive issue. But I want to tell you, there's also another anger. Get people fixed eyes on Jesus. And he lifts them out of the mud and the mire. And we need to do that gently. And it's a process. Because God is gracious. But there is a turning back to Jesus and a repenting process. C.S. Lewis says, and it's quite a big one, Hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. You know, it's this whole thing. Hey, I'm free. Don't put that on me, dude. Don't. Don't put that on me. No, I'm telling you, God's not sending you some, someone else's wife. Just telling you. It's like, no, don't put that on me. God is gracious and he's kind. Now, I've had these conversations with people. Go. No, God is gracious, and God is like me. He, he's loving. God's not like you. He's God, and you sort of made in His image, and you're sort of growing more and more in His image, but you becoming like Him. He's not becoming like you. God is holy and righteous, and there's some lines that He says, this is it. And Jesus comes, and yes, He does lower. It's like, you can eat anything. Awesome. Sugar, bring it. You can eat anything. It might not be good for you, but you can eat it. But on sexuality, on lust, I'm going to elevate the stakes. Before, you could, just, you could just divorce. It's like, just get rid of it. These days, I'm telling you, you just look at a woman in your eyes. Cut your eye out. Cut off your hand. He elevates the stakes. This is the gospel. This is the good, good father who wants to call you to a big story. <laughs> you know, guys, sex out of marriage is always awesome because it's about you. Just telling you. I've sat with couples that had sex for years before they get married, and then there's an enemy at play trying to destroy the marriage. And now that sex that was so great for years, how, I'm not in a marriage council. How am I talking about sex on a Sunday morning? It's all good. This is real. It's real life. Stealing from the taxman. oh, I got away with it last year. I got away. With, yeah, but you don't know where else it's costing you. The storm, the storm will break. And God will revere his hand. The Bible says in Galatians 6 verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Maybe you're asking this morning, God is Mark, is this, is this the sermon this morning? You're just going to tell us how big sin is. And, 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 and that God could use a storm? Yes. See, I can tell you that God doesn't care. I can tell you that just keep messing up, boy. You see, with a little kid, what grace does. Grace, and I've used this picture before, but grace is, is, he's the father who, who, the kid falls, and and you know those parents, like their kid stands and then falls, like on his face. They go, look at him, he walked. No, he didn't. He fell on his face. It's called gravity. Now, grace is the father who picks that kid up and goes, come on, one more step. So the kid gets up, and it's like, poof. And the father goes, look at him, he's walking, he's walking. He picks him up and says, go for it, boy. It's okay to do that as a baby. But if you walk around and and you just happen to be my age, 37, you take two steps and fall over, people go, something's wrong with you, buddy. And yet we accept that in the Christian walk. God's calling us to maturity. He's calling us to be more like Him. That is the grace of God, that He keeps revealing His love. And you know what? If He needs to, He will use a storm. He doesn't always have to. And I'm telling you, the sooner we respond, if Jonah had just gone to Nineveh, we probably would, would have just heard about God saved a city. But we get to hear a story of someone who's worshiping themselves, and the grace of God has to break in, in a powerful hand. And I promise you, God's still doing it. And it might not sell on YouTube, and it might not sell in, in the bookstores, but I'm telling you, God is still almighty. His ways are still higher than ours. He is still more glorious than we could ever understand. And if we could just get a taste, an understanding of the grace that lifts us out of a baby and the grace that keeps sanctifying us, keeps revealing, I'm going to jump a whole bunch of processes, but I want to make this clarification. This isn't in the preach, so it's a freebie. Justification. It's once and for all. It's done. The minute God washes me with His blood, I am washed. And when Father looks at me, all He sees is the blood of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus. But don't mix up justification and the process of me becoming more and more like Jesus. Hebrews tells us, I am perfect being made holy. I am perfect. You are perfect if you have received the love of Jesus just yesterday and been washed by Zod. You're perfect. But you're being made holy. You're like a baby walking, falling over, and the Father's picking you up, and He keeps picking me up. And he picks up Jonah and says, okay, boy, yes, you've prophesied to the nations. Yes, you're a prophet. Yes, you're all that stuff. But I'm telling you, there's a bigger story for you. So come on, boy. And Jonah 3 tells us God speaks to him again. I want to say, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, And all well, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit of His God, the Spirit of God, is at work in your life, like He was in Jonah, like He is in the city. Why? It's not about me. The message on Friday night to the married couples is: your marriage isn't about you; it's about the glory of God, and it's about the mission and the mandate of God in and through your marriage. The Jonah book and story wasn't about Jonah. It's about 120,000 people who don't know their left from their right and they need the grace of God. Can we bow our heads, please? I have... This is a big story to speak about, the storm. I, I, I couldn't get past it. I wanted to. I, I wanted to get past it. Sarah Edwards was the wife of Jonathan Edwards. Can we close our eyes and just contemplate for a minute? Jonathan Edwards was a powerful preacher. He preached some pretty radical preachers, saw thousands and thousands of people saved. But he died at the age of 27 or something like that from a smallpox vaccination. And so she, the wife of a pastor who passes away at a tragic age, in his prime, before his prime, she writes a letter to her children. My dear children, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness, that we had him so long. But my God lives, and he has my heart. Oh, what, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God, and there I am, and love to be, your ever affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. The glory of God is not about our understanding of the outcome. It's our trust in him regardless. And this is a hard message. And there are good, encouraging messages to come. But when we can get this story, we can walk the trials. We can walk the challenges. God is calling his church to be a church that will walk through the valleys. That we will enter the valleys and lift others up and out of them. Isaiah 40, it says, what he's going to do, he's going to lift up the valleys and he's going to bring down the mountains so the glory of God can come. Some of you are mountain people. And so what God has to do, he has to bring down the mountains a little bit so you can see him and his glory can come. Some are valley people. And even when I mentioned depression, there's something in you going, I want freedom from this. I'm telling you, I worship the God who lifts up the valleys. And if you're in a valley now, cry out to him. Return to him, and like Jonah say, I worship the God of heaven. Make that decision today, and watch the floodgates of God's mercy pour and pour and pour over you. But I pray, God, today, I pray as much as this message seems heavy in part, your gospel is beautiful. And the fact that you would call us, the fact that you would speak, the fact that that your grace and your love was so amazing for Jonah, for the sailors and Nineveh, that you would move your finger because you cared about a man, a couple of sailors, and a city so much. You would move your finger to start a storm so that your unbelievable, unfailing love and redemptive hand could be working. It astounds me, God. So God, I want to remember love this morning. I want to remember mercy. I want to remember Christ who is before me and Christ behind me. So I pray, God, would you settle with Tarshisha's voice that keeps shouting, come here, come here, come here. Would that voice be silent now? And would you, vo- your voice, the voice of the Father, I pray some people even tonight would be so caught up and captivated by your voice, they would struggle to sleep. But you know what happens then? You resource them anyway. But that you would speak. I pray for those that have been crying out to hear from you, God. We don't live in the silent 400 years, we live in the age where you have given your spirit. I pray, Spirit of God, speak to us, even now. Some people questioning are they in the right place? Are they doing the right thing? I pray, Spirit of God, speak. Like you spoke to Jonah, would you speak to your people, your sons and your daughters? And I pray, God, would your grace abound so unbelievably. I pray for those, maybe even now, you say, Mark, I'm in the storm and I don't know what to do. It's overwhelming and the waves are big. I want to tell you that the waves are big. I want to tell you that it might be overwhelming, but I want to tell you about the God who with his finger can start and can stop those waves. I want to tell you about the God who spoke to a storm and said, be still, and that storm disappeared. His name is Jesus. He loves you. And he wants to reveal that great love to you. I, I, I can't move on without giving an opportunity. If you were here this morning, it's like, Mark, after that message, how could you I want to tell you about the God who loves you? If you haven't received the love of Jesus and given your life and made that one decision, would you do it this morning, sir or ma'am? Would you surrender your life to the King of Kings? Is there anyone like that? Why don't you just give me a little sign? I'd love to pray with you. Even if there's one person. Would you? Is there anyone? Thank you, God no hands but I pray thank you God for your glory thank you for your grace have your way with us